This is Dana Wiles at the Country Home Center. We're tucked away in Morrisville, but many of Vermont's leading contractors agree that Country Home Center's kitchen and bath inventory and design service is one of the finest in the area. Brian Hill heads up our kitchen and bath design team. They know what products are available to meet your tastes, needs, and budget. From consultations in the store and at your home, they'll create 3D full-color designs of your proposed project. They'll be with you from concept to completion. Email Brian Hill, spelled with a Y, at brianhillchc at comcast.net. Your new kitchen or bath begins and ends at Country Home Center. Visit us at countryhomecenter.net. It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents the Mark Johnson Show. Thank you, Jim Connick. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for tuning in. A uh, very tragic day in Vermont today. Thank you for joining us on the program this morning. Uh, over the weekend, they, uh, uh, the story out of Barry really uh, becoming even more incredible by the day. Friday night... A uh, state social worker, uh, Lara Sobel, was uh, killed outside of her place of work. Authorities then discovered the next morning that three relatives of the alleged shooter of uh, Lara uh, were also found dead. And uh, as uh, many of you know, this is an incredibly unusual event here in Vermont, a multiple homicide. The uh, authorities have been on this since Friday night. Uh, Governor Shumlin, in fact, came back from a uh, personal vacation. He and uh, other state officials have been on the scene. We're going to chat a little bit about this story. It is uh, a great tragedy, and I, I dare say I, I think it puts a, a chill in all of us being concerned about people trying to do good work and uh, being in the line of fire. I mean, it's, it's uh, not dissimilar to losing a police officer. We, uh, of course, will take your phone calls throughout the program as well. One of the hallmarks of the Mark Johnson Show. You can always join us at uh, 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free 877-291-8255. Also on the program this morning, later this hour, we'll be joined by Lieutenant Governor Phil Scott. Joining us here in our studios this morning, Governor Shumlin. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Mark. So uh, tell me, when did you hear uh, about this? Well, governors get bad news very quickly. So, you know, I heard about the shooting within minutes of the shooting. Uh, and, uh, you know, all I can say is, uh, as Vermonters, uh, I know that uh, we all feel that this is a horrific uh, series of events. Uh, it uh, is absolutely heartbreaking. And we've all got to pull together and figure out, you know, do everything we can in Lara's memory uh, to change the dialogue about DCF workers who are on the front lines doing heroes work trying to improve the lives of our most vulnerable children that's what they do every single day mm -hmm. and uh, you know that's what she did every day when I met with her dad on uh, Saturday night literally 24 hours after he learned that his daughter had died he said two things to me that I'll never forget one was my daughter loved her job because she wanted to help kids and she loved every day, knowing she was making a difference for kids. And the other thing he said towards the end of the conversation was that he hoped that some good would come of this. And when I asked him what he meant, he said that maybe there will be more respect for the people in the trenches with Lara. 
who are out there every single day in very dangerous and difficult situations, heart-wrenching situations, situations where there are no easy choices. You know, I mean, you have to remember, uh, we've got an increasing caseload with heroin and, and drug addiction, more and more kids. Kids are the victims of addiction. And uh, these are the folks that go in and make the most rational choices in very irrational worlds. What can you tell us? What, what is your understanding of what happened on Friday afternoon? Well, let me just start by saying, Mark, I've got to be very careful about what I say uh, because we are still under, we're in the midst of the investigation and I don't want to jeopardize justice in any way. Uh, having said that, what we have said and what we do know is that uh, prior to uh, the tragedy that happened at, in Barrie, uh, the alleged uh, killer uh, went uh, to Berlin and killed uh, her aunt and her first and her and her cousins. Uh, so you know, obviously, our our hearts go out not only to Lara's family, to Tim, and to the girls, and to the entire family, but also, you know, we have a a lot of other families that are grieving, facing just horrid circumstances. Right, and then uh, Lara was shot outside the, the DCF offices. That's right. Then she went over to DCF. Uh, she, uh, she, you know, hid behind a car in a parking lot, uh, waited for her to come out, and uh, assassinated her. That's the only way to put it. She worked for DCF for 14 years. It's a long time to work for DCF, isn't it? It is, and, uh, you know, this is really tough work. And, you know, I've always had... You know, I think we all have concerns. I do, particularly since these folks are working for us. Uh, they go into really remote areas in with with you know emotional circumstances that couldn't be more difficult. I mean, let you know as you know, by contrast, I uh, was leaving uh, my annual vacation with my girls uh, up in Nova Scotia, which I get to do once a year. Uh, to come to be with a dad who also had two daughters. Uh, and uh, you remember that, you know, as we have to remember that as parents, there's nothing more intense than that bond with your children, regardless of how desperate your circumstances are. So they're going into situations where literally uh, someone has to come in and make judgments about which parent or which relative or foster family these kids should be placed with. Uh, the parents who are at the receiving end of, of, you know, this intervention always feel like they're right and the state is wrong. And, you know, if you look at the blogs uh, and, and the things that are said about these hardworking heroes that are willing to go into the front lines of action to try get these kids put in safer places so that they too have a bright future, uh, the language that's used about DCF, about state employees, should concern us. And, you know, I'm not pretending to get into the killer's head and say this was motivated by one thing or the other. But what I can tell you is the fear that I'm hearing from DCF workers, other state workers who do this kind of work about their safety is based upon some of the stuff you read in the blogs where, in effect, it's justified. And we have to remember that hateful speech is fertilizer for hateful actions. And I think what we can take from this, what I hope we can all take from this as Vermonters, is to stand up and say, no, that kind of speech is not okay. Enough is enough. 
These folks are out there doing the hero's work in very difficult situations. And when we read that stuff, we must all defend them and stand up and say, break the silence. This isn't okay. Is this new? No, I think it's what what concerns me is that as a result of uh, the high profile cases, let's be honest about this, that took place, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, starting with Desiree. Uh, there is a new acceptance of intolerance for DCF workers among all of Vermont, I believe, that I think is unjustified and unfair. And I think we need to address it. We've got to stand up and say, remind people that this work, protecting our children, is there anything more important? Is there anything more important in this state than ensuring that every child has the best options possible for them? Then look at the terrible circumstances that we're in. And as I mentioned, they're only growing worse. I've increased the budget for uh, social workers. We've tried to reduce the caseload for these hardworking folks, only to find that as we make those investments, we have more and more folks getting addicted to opiates and other drugs that lead to these kind of situations. So caseloads are going up, even though we're making the investments. Uh, we got to remember that how we all as a community uh, deal with these very difficult circumstances circumstances uh, reflects outcomes like this a new acceptance for intolerance by vermonters i mean you're talking about a small fraction of people here right i uh no? i have been struck by the uh rush to judgment in many many circumstances by lots of us based upon tragic circumstances that happen and let's remember we've got as the state in these situations, one hand tied behind our back. We can't talk about the cases because of the confidentiality that we have to live by. So even in this case, uh, you know, I'm unable to talk about uh, the, the circumstances right now of, of our involvement with this particular uh, accused uh, uh, killer's uh, daughter. Yeah. Uh, I'm unable to talk about past uh, interventions that might have taken place. Uh, but, you know, I do think that because we aren't able to say, hey, wait a minute, here are the circumstances, Vermonters. This is what happened, and therefore reasonable people can't hear the other side of the story. We have to remember you get one side. You don't often get the other side. And I think that helps to feed an environment where uh, it's very, very easy to condemn those who are trying to do the right thing. But, you know, in those cases that you were talking about, I don't want to split hairs with you on this because I think you're making a valid point. But on, on the other hand, the cases that you're talking about involved a social worker allegedly not taking a kid out of a house. I mean, I, I can understand if there was a feeling that DCF was crazy happy taking kids out of a house. But that was those two cases were just the opposite. Why would they lead to this culture? I think that, well, first of all, uh, uh when you second guess the judgments that are made in, as I mentioned, where there are no easy choices, I'm not sure that the assessment that you just gave is entirely fair. In other words, uh, DCF employees, in even the most tragic cases that we've talked about, were misled, lied to, uh, you know, just, to, just, you know, I mean, literally, uh, you're, you're dealing with just horrid, horrid circumstances and folks who are really, really troubled. So... I guess all I'm saying is uh, let's use Lara's memory as an opportunity as Vermonters to stand up for all of our kids and for the hardworking state employees 
who are trying to get them in best in the very best situations possible. It doesn't mean there can't be lessons learned when we make mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. There will be no decision that everybody agrees was right. But I think there's a difference between disagreeing about what's the best solution and condemning the people who are doing the work to improve the lives of the kids. I would not feel um, today, if I were a social worker, I would not feel safe. No. And I've got to tell you, many of them don't. Uh, obviously, we're reviewing safety uh, with increased scrutiny. Uh, but uh, this is a tough job. I mean, how can you possibly protect every social worker on every call every day? You can't. You can't. And uh, I do think that that speaks to the heroism of the work they do. Uh, you know, do you think that Lara went to work every day thinking she's working with rational, reasonable people who will agree with the decisions she makes, not threaten her, and uh, that everything in her life going forward, you know, is going to be easy based upon the decisions that are made? No. These social workers, as I said, they're heroes. They're out there doing the most important work that we do for kids, trying to take terrible situations and make them somewhat better. Have you at all have you at all contributed to the negative attitude people have towards state employees, DCF workers? I hope not. You know, I try to stand by them. I do stand by them. And uh, I hope any governor would because they're doing extraordinary work. I mean, it sounded like you when you answered the question before that you, like many people, maybe you even had some reservations about how some of these cases were handled. And maybe, you know, your judgment got a little clouded, too. No, I'll tell you, my frustration has been that I can't talk about the details of the cases to explain to Vermonters why I feel some of the condemnations of our hardworking employees are unfair. And that's been my frustration. I've often said publicly, uh, I believe on this show, you know, we focused on the two cases where there were tragic deaths who were in DCF custody. And I keep saying, and I've said this many times, how come when these kids die in the hands of their parents or adults that are supposed to be taking care of them as usually a result of opiate addiction and other addictions, if they're not in DCF custody, it's a one-day story. But the children are still gone. If it's in DCF custody, uh, we go through great, great lengths to uh, really analyze and scrutinize every single judgment that was made and second-guess most of them. So I think there's a double standard. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to provide confidence for people that do this work? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to leave here and go obviously meet with many of the folks in Barrie who experienced this horrific uh, event on Friday. We're going to review security to figure out what we can do being smart, not symbolic, you know, not putting officers in buildings and pretending we're solving problems because, frankly, this didn't happen in the state office building. It happened in a parking lot out back. Uh, but and we can't anticipate every difficult circumstance that might come up. But I do think that we need to review the particularly home visits to make sure that, because that's really where you're most vulnerable, to make sure that we're doing everything as well as we can to protect the people that are doing the hard work. Okay. What does that mean? Like what? If you, there was an interesting... It's not symbolic. Yeah, there was an interesting story in the St. Albans Messenger several months ago uh, where one of the reporters went with one of the DCF workers into the field. And, you know, that's a public 
story that I think people should read. But if you look at uh, the really remote areas and very, very tough families that these folks go in and try and mediate, I think that's where you have the greatest vulnerability. And the question is, you know, how do we create an environment where DCF workers can easily turn to law enforcement and say, my judgment is that I'm going to need you on this one. And we make that as much of a priority as chasing down a traffic ticket or or going out and investigating a crime. Mm-hmm. Are there protocols when social workers go out on a, on a home visit? I, I'm not sure that they're clear enough. So what I want to do is make sure that we have the protocols in place so that the employees, that the uh, social workers and other DCF employees, and frankly, other state employees and other areas that are also dangerous, uh, know very clearly that it's not unusual or unacceptable to ask for help when you feel, when you have that in your gut, that you're going into a really tough circumstance or potentially tough circumstance, and that you're not wasting law enforcement's time, that that's the right thing to do is call for help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Was this, I mean, you talk about, what, what's, what have you seen out there on these blogs? Give me a sense of what you're talking about. You know, I don't want to give them any more help than they've already got. Well, but if but you give, look me, at, give me an idea here. The language in these blogs accused DCF of being child kidnappers, uh, taking away parents' rights, uh, having, uh, there's a blacklist of, you know, are you on DCF's blacklist of baby snatchers? I mean, it's just, you know, this stuff is unbelievable that you read. And my point is, pre-technology, you couldn't be an anonymous person on a legitimate blog there or Facebook or whatever it's going to be uh, where people read this stuff. There was a filter. And, you know, we've seen this happen across the nation. But losing that filter in Vermont, I believe, provides uh, a level of, of uh, discourse that not only departs from Vermont's long tradition of civility but also is threatening in ways that we haven't experienced before. And I think we need to come to terms with that. We need to talk about it. And most importantly, we as Vermonters need to stand up and respond to it and stop pretending that that's not hurtful, harmful, and doesn't create an environment where uh, folks are put at greater risk. I thought it was a wise move on the part of the Burlington Free Press a year or so, maybe even two years back, when they stopped allowing anonymous comments and you had to actually go through a a Facebook page. I mean, that's a practical solution to what you're talking about. How else, give me another example of how we as a community tone that down without, you know, in a realistic way. I don't know if I had the answer to that, uh, or I I guess I should say I wish I had the answer to that question. Uh, You know, historically, I I know this because in my other life, uh, I work with National Geographic National Geographic was formed because back in the days when the press was first created and, you know, you had these daily extras and uh, people would run down the streets and sell them with, off, right off the printing press. And National Geographic was a bunch of press folks and others who, scientists, who felt that the information, because of this new technology, presses mm-hmm. and papers being transmitted across America had so little accuracy that there needed to be some board, some group of reliable reliable people, scientists and others, that would actually check the facts and correct them when they were wrong. Uh, you know, on a big picture, I think it's 
time for us to have that kind of conversation about the ability for anonymous folks to put out information that's total garbage and have it be believed by many, many people. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that I have the solution, but there is a historical precedent for this kind of need in public discourse and press. You know, I hate to even admit I had this thought over the weekend, but I'm, I was reading this story and I was thinking about what you referred to earlier about how emotional, I mean, there is truly probably nothing more emotional than uh, somebody, uh, it's something that involves your kids. And I, I almost thought to myself, I'm actually surprised that there haven't been earlier incidents. Are you at all surprised? Uh, you know, I got an email from my mom who was a guardian ad litem for years and working with very, very difficult circumstances like our social workers do, judgments, you know, guardian ad litems represent the kids. Yeah. That's just sort of an objective volunteer that's supposed to look out for the kids' interests. Right. And her email to me was, you know, after expressing her horror and outrage and, and tears and pain, she said just what you just said. I'm surprised that this hasn't happened. And interestingly, I've had a lot of reach out from other governors. Governor Baker from Massachusetts called me and said, you know, I struggle. we struggle with this down in Massachusetts. We know that we're making really, really tough circumstances, making tough calls, and the level of anger and violence and, and uh, dysfunction in these families. And, uh, you know, you, you worry about your hardworking employees who are out there making making these things happen, making, trying to find the best solutions. Do they provide protection down in Massachusetts? Well, he basically, I, I didn't have an extensive conversation with him because I was trying to get back to Vermont, but the bottom line is, uh, I think we all as governors struggle with the question of how do we keep the folks, the heroes that are doing this frontline work safe? Now, would it, there be any wisdom, well, should they be carrying weapons of some kind or i had an email from a dcf worker today just driving up here who said maybe it's time to turn this over to law enforcement you know it's, it's we've got to look at all the options what did you what could you say to lara's father the other day or to her friends perhaps listening this morning that would be of uh, any value or help i think it's hard to take something as tragic as this and think you can turn it into any kind of value. I mean, it's just we've got to give them the hugs and the love and the support uh, that they all desperately need right now. But I think carrying out her dad's wish that something good come of this and that we all start changing the dialogue, understanding better the work that these folks are doing and how critical it is to Vermont's most vulnerable children. And I think, you know, if we can do anything in Lara's memory and then for her dad and for the family and for Tim and for the girls that are that are just going through absolute hell right now, uh, it is for us all to speak up. Let's change the hatred the in the conversations about the work that these state employees are doing and give them the support and appreciation and respect that they deserve. And then there are three other people that are dead, too. I mean, a quadruple homicide. This is not Vermont, my friend. No, it isn't. So what do you, what do you tell people out of the state when, when they see that? What did, did the Massachusetts governor ask you about that? I mean, if, we, this just doesn't happen in Vermont. So what, do you t what did you tell people, or what do you tell people when they say that? I think we have to uh, acknowledge that apparently this does happen in Vermont. And that's, I think, why Vermonters are feeling so much sadness today. Uh, we have an increasingly violent society. Uh, 
we have, you know, as I've said many times, opiate addiction is the biggest threat to Vermont's quality of life. And I said that in my speech two Januarys ago when I took a lot of criticism for coming out and saying this is the one thing that could really threaten everything that we cherish about this state. And uh, I believe it is. Is that what's going on in this case? Are there drugs involved in this case? I, I can't speak about this case. I can tell you with conviction that in almost every single tragedy that we've talked about recently to do with kids, addiction is at the root of it. And uh, I will fall off my chair in surprise if this one's any different. DCF calls go on as normal today. What, what, do, you, what do you do? We've got to keep doing the work. I mean, here's the problem. We've got more and more children who are victims of adult behavior. Uh, and the numbers are going up. So we can't let up. We need more social workers. We need more folks out there doing the work. And we need to come up with better solutions to dealing with addiction. And my, my frustration has been, you know, Vermont really is on the cutting edge of figuring out how to deal with addiction once you've got the disease. What we're all terrible at is figuring out how we do prevention. And my, that's been my big frustration is that, you know, we're, we're making real progress on the front of not just saying, hey, this is law enforcement's problem, lock them up, throw away the key and pretend you solve the problem. We all know now that that doesn't work that way. They come out of prison in worse shape than the way they went in in many cases. They go back to the streets. They reoffend. They, they, they obviously sign up for, you know, they, they immediately, almost immediately go and, you know, start shooting up or whatever it's going to be. And we're right back in the same mess. We just spent 58, 60,000 bucks a year putting them, these nonviolent folks in prison because they're suffering from this disease. So we've changed it to a system where we immediately bring in a third party assessor when you're busted. And that's the most likely opportunity to get these folks who are in denial into treatment and to get them back on a road to recovery. And, uh, if they're nonviolent, we say, hey, you'll never see a judge, you'll never see a court, you'll never see a criminal record if you will go into treatment, take our other wraparound services, and we can start getting you better, getting you healthier. It doesn't mean that you won't fail, that you won't, uh, uh, you know, reuse or, or, or slip from time to time, but it's a much better process. What we're terrible at is figuring out how we stop the the volume into this disease in the first place. And it's incredibly frustrating. T.J. Donovan, the Chittenden County State's Attorney, told me two weeks ago the problem hasn't peaked. I agree with him. I, I mean, that, But, you know, that's, that must be just maddening. I mean, the, the effort that's been put on this, and it's not gotten better. Wow. It, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. And, you know, I mean, let's just talk economics. Forget uh, our hearts for a minute and work with our heads. Uh, this disease started when we approved FDA, Oxycontin, and other painkillers about 12, 15 years ago and started passing it out like candy. Uh, then the pills became $80, $90 on the street, and people were addicted to opiates. That's, you know, Oxycontin is, a, is opiate and is heroin in pill form. Let's be honest about this. And for five bucks a bag down in Springfield and Mount Holyoke and, those, and, and Point South, you can pick this stuff up. So it's it's cheap compared to the the, the FDA-approved drugs that you see on the streets. Mm -hmm. So these huge motive to get it into the small rural areas because they sell it around Vermont for 20 25 bucks a bag. So just from a pure business model, 
you know, there's huge motivation for these folks to bring this poison into Vermont. Let's take a call. Let you go. Uh, let's go to Williamstown. Rama, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Mark, and good morning, Governor Shumlin. I, I, I wholly agree with the governor's uh, comments regarding the tone of our public conversation, and it's not just in this area, but I, I don't think that's what's the driving force behind the what happened with this, with these multiple murders. And the important thing is to realize just when it comes to domestic situations is uh, – the emotions get very excited, and when it comes to people's children, they get excited even more. And, you know, it's not just the DCF workers who were put at risk, obviously, because it's when family members become involved or when other people around that child become involved that they're literally putting themselves at, uh, at varying degrees of risk, too. And I, what I'm trying to get to at the end of the day, I hope that in our and in, in our concern for the safety of the adults, that we don't take our eye off the ball, which is really that this is all about protecting very vulnerable children. And, right. and that that's really what we need to be keeping the focus on. And I hope that people don't get scared away from stepping forward to protect the next child that needs them to step forward. So thanks Agreed. for the conversation. Agreed and good comment. And I want to make clear, I'm not trying to get into the head of the person who did these horrid crimes. My only point is when I turn to DCF workers as their boss and they say to me, you know, we're scared. Uh, we're scared of, of uh, the situations that we confront. Uh, you have to acknowledge that You'd be doubly scared or, or feeding some of that fear is the simple fact that the dialogue about the work that they do is, in many cases, filled with anger and hatred. Last question. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a better way to protect children that doesn't put people at risk? If so, we haven't figured it out. I mean, you know, let's get into what we're really dealing with. You have folks who are often addicted to substances. You have folks who are often suffering from mental illness. You have folks who uh, are living in poverty in many cases, so they're having huge financial strains. You have broken families. You have kids from multiple parents. And there's no strong adult presence in these kids' lives. I mean, it's just forget it. Nothing. Nothing like... Uh, uh, you would hope the kids would be able to have available to them. And then these folks have to go in and decide what is a more stable environment for these kids. And you're talking about taking kids from parents or a parent and putting them with, into a safer environment. So as the caller that just called came in, I mean, this is tough stuff. This is the stuff that, that absolutely uh, tears folks apart. So it's very tough work. There are no easy answers. There are often no right answers. Where are you going? Where 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 are you going today? What's the rest of your day? Uh, I'm gonna. My next stop is to go uh, to uh, Barry and meet with uh, the folks who witnessed much of this tragedy on Friday. Uh, I'll be obviously going to Lara's service tomorrow uh, and giving her family the support and love that they need. And uh, I'll be doing all kinds of other things to try to figure out, you know, what we can do as a state to 
keep our workers in a safer environment as they do the work that we've got to do to have a better state. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I think the only thing I'd add is with all this tragedy, we're lucky to live in a state where Vermonters do pull together and not only face really tragic situations, but turn it into something positive. And my greatest hope for Lara, for all the victims of these crimes, is that we'll do that now, that we understand uh, better the tough choices that our state employees are involved in making and give them the support that they need to make this a state where every kid succeeds or has a chance of success, regardless of whether they're born into mountains of opportunity or mountains of challenges. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me on. Governor Peter Shumlin talking about the tragedy in Barrie. We'll take a short break back after this. At 802 Cars, it's our 8th annual.